today's times, when even though we may be working from home, we find ourselves busier than ever. When can we fit in time for the gym? Is it open? What are the protocols? It's just so confusing. The easiest solution is to work out from home, but the cost of equipment can be so high. And how do you stay motivated? How would you like to have live, at-home, real-time interactive coaching from international award-winning coaches? You can have all of that in one app, the Knock Academy. The app is customizable for your schedule. Grab a workout in the morning before you start your day. How about a Pilates session at lunch? Strength training when you're finished your workday or start your weekends with core training or a rejuvenating yoga session after a busy week. Knock Academy is live. Your instructors can offer real-time feedback, motivation, and instruction, all from the privacy of your own home. Check out the Knock Academy. That's N-O-C-K Academy. Listeners of Start Talking get 20% off your first month. Just use the discount code WEAS when you sign up. The Knock Academy. It started on a better you today. This is a podcast that focuses on having difficult yet essential conversations. Each week, a new guest will be on the show, and we will take a deep dive into what makes us who we are and how we can come to better understand one another. This show is uncensored and unbridled, so I warn you, it's not for the faint of heart. Thank you for listening, and let's start talking. All right. Hello, good day, and thanks for tuning in to We As Men Start Talking. Uh, this week's podcast, this week's podcast is going to be a little surreal for a number of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, this is the first time that we have done a uh, a phone, uh, excuse me, a, a show where the guest is on the phone, and the reason why the guest is on the phone is because he lives in Florida. Um, and due to some scheduling challenges and, and life challenges, we were not able to record this in person. Um, but when I introduce who this person is, I'm sure each and every one of you will understand why this conversation was so important to me uh, and to him. And I think also as you, the listener, you'll appreciate the value in what we're about to discuss. Uh, so who I want to introduce, and uh, he is live on the phone with me now is my brother, uh, Scott Mason, calling from uh, Florida, the United States of America. Scott, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing great, Carl. How are you? You know what? I'm much better now that I've got you on the phone. Um, You and I have talked about setting this up, and and you've got a pretty full plate right now, so I really appreciate you taking the time to to chat, and uh, also your bravery in putting what we're about to talk about, putting it out to the world. Yeah, no problem. I wish I could be there to do this in person, but like you said, pretty busy right now with life and stuff, so this is the best we could do. 
So I guess first and foremost, let's um, let's address the you know the the elephant in the room, and and I guess first thing I'll say is I want to apologize preemptively to the listeners. Uh, I usually strive for impeccable audio quality, but you know we are talking to somebody on a phone that's you know fifteen hundred miles away with uh, with a hurricane on his doorstep. So. And couple that with the fact that he lives on an island off the coast. So if there are any little hiccups or uh, any challenges with audio, please uh, be extra forgiving. Um, I guess the other elephant in the room is I want to take a minute to just sort of connect the dots for the listeners because perhaps not everyone has been listening from the start, but... um, your biological father is my adoptive father, and his name is Tony. Um, yes, sir. When my adoptive mother and our father uh, divorced, uh, Tony remarried your mom. Uh, excuse me, that didn't sound right. He didn't remarry your mom. He remarried to your mom. Um, right. and, and the two of them had two children, uh, yourself and, uh, and Todd. So the first question I want to ask is how far back do you remember me coming into your life? You know, it, it's funny you say that, Carl, because even in our times that we haven't been close and, and been separated from numerous of issues, me being in the States, you've been in Canada, I always look back at my childhood and I, you know, I could remember even back to like when I was three years old, I believe, and I remember a birthday present you bought me, which was really weird. And it was like a, a machine gun that made noise, you know, like actually made the, the bullet sounds and the shooting sounds. And I remember running around our property up in Meaford, shooting that gun off all day long. And that, that's probably about, you know, I go back a long way. I can remember a long ways back. I remember you coming up on the weekends and riding snowmobiles. Uh, you know, I'd always have to ride on the, basically on the gas tank with you holding the steering behind me with me in between. Um, yeah, man, I, yeah, I go back a long way. And just so the listeners know, um, so how old are you today, Scott? I'm 39. So. Yeah, almost 39. So 39 at the end of the month. So just so the listeners know, there's about a 10 year difference. So when, you know, when Scott's talking about his memories uh, when he was three, you know, and, and beyond, you know, bear in mind, I was, I was still a kid, you know, I was 12, 13, 14. And, and um, I remember those times too, man, is, is those were some of my best memories is whether it was on the YZ80 or on the, on the Bombardier 440 taking you out on the snowmobile, you know, whipping or through, whipping through the property or whipping through the apple orchard, um, yeah. you know, and your eyes were just like, you just light up like saucers and, and you were always so happy, man. So, well, yeah, you, you're the opinion of a big brother, you know, we were, I always loved when you were coming to town, you know, unfortunately we lived two hours away. So I think I don't really recall how often you'd come up, but I, I always remember I was always looking forward to those weekends when you were coming up. So did did your mom or or for that matter did Tony ever explain to you 
you know, why I didn't live with you and, and, you know, what, how our relationship was kind of unique? Yeah, a little bit, you know, when you're young like that, they, they didn't really express in detail. Um, you know, I had no clue that you're adopted for, I don't know how long. I mean, that was, I was probably in the teenagers before I knew you were adopted. Um, but yeah, not a whole lot, but you know, uh, they, they fill you in and, well, I think once our parent, once my mom and Tony got divorced, my mom would fill me in a little more. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, 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 unfortunately, as you know, and we'll probably get into, our father wasn't the typical father figure. He, <laughs> it was a, a tough upbringing with him. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I used to spend, I'd spend weekends, um, you know, I'd spend every other weekend and I would spend, usually I'd spend summers up there or at least sort of half the summer. Um, and one of the things that I always remember, and I'd love, I'd love your two cents on this. So how old were you, uh, when Tony and your mom split? I was in the second grade. So what, like seven ish? Yeah. So I'd love your opinion on this because one of the things that I always remember about Tony is he never actually wanted to spend time with any of us. Um, and it was more just a question of what sort of toys can I surround these kids with so that they can fuck off and go and entertain themselves. Right. Was, you know, think of, so I only got, you know, 10% of your childhood life with him. What was your childhood like being raised by the man who, you know, he, he, he and my mom divorced when I was three. So you didn't have him for an awful lot much longer. But, you know, what are your, some of your memories about being a kid with him as a dad? You know, early, early age, I, I don't have a whole lot of remember, memories of him. Um, I, I just remember him, like you said, he was never your typical father, never teaching you stuff, never trying to be there for you. It was kind of like you said, just put him on the side there. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. They'll be fine and content over there. I don't remember him like teaching you stuff that your dad should teach you as a kid. Yeah. You know, and, and that's tough. And then when my mom and him got divorced, it got even worse. Cause I mean, I think we were supposed to see him every Tuesday. He would come, I think at the time he was living in Hanover and, uh, he would come up every Tuesday, but it got to a point where I, I think he would find every excuse in the book not to come. And, you know, it always get, it, it would disappoint me. You know, I'm a, a eight year old, nine year old kid wanted to see their dad. And my mom would call or would ask me to come in and, four o'clock and say, Oh, your dad's not coming to get you today. Hmm. Yeah, so it's really disappointing for me a lot when you're younger. Um, but yeah, I don't really have a whole lot of great memories with them. And when, when Tony and, and your mom separated, um, was there ever any question about custody? Do you remember? Oh, oh no, I, I, I remember that for sure. There was definitely, not an argument at all. And, you know, 
this is a tough one too. You know, he, my mom obviously got custody of both of us, and with that, you have to pay child support, which he never paid. Hmm. Um, it actually took until about, I think maybe the year ninety ninety nine. I think she started getting checks from the Canadian government. I guess he was on disability. Uh, got in a massive car wreck and couldn't work anymore. Was getting paid disabilities, and they started garnishing his disabilities to repay child support. So you know, like I said, I mean, as you know too, you go back. He wasn't your greatest father. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember. You know, you you, you triggered a memory for me when you were talking about. Um, you know, being eight years old and, and Tony was going to come and see you on a Tuesday and then, and then your mom would have to break the news. I remember, uh, and, and the listeners will, will remember this story. Uh, it was in one of my earlier episodes, but I remember being, you know, 14 or 15. And this is when, you know, we lived, um, we lived in North York in Toronto and Tony called, I think it was like on a Thursday or something like that. And he said, you know, hey, guy, uh, I'm going to be down in the city on Saturday. Uh, why, don't I, why don't I swing by the house and pick you up? And um, sorry, my phone's, my text messages are going off. So you, listeners, you may hear some buzzing again. I apologize. Um so he said, I'm going to be down on, in this in Toronto on Saturday. Why don't I pick you up? We'll go grab some lunch and go shoot some pool. So I wake up at 6 o'clock in the fucking morning and shower and get dressed. And I'm sitting on the sofa waiting for the door to, uh, the, you know, waiting for a knock at the door. And, you know, then it's then it's 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And I'm sure you can see where this is going. Um you know, then it's, then all of a sudden it's 30 years later. Um, right. you know, and it's, it's, that's been something that you and I have talked about when, when we have seen each other and when we reconnected and started chatting over the phone, but you and I almost created like this solidarity between the two of us because we both had the same, um, you know, we both, we both had the same sort of villain in our lives. Right. So, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in the past is how the relationship with Tony affected you as a young man and now as as a grown man. But do you remember, you know, back when you were a teenager, you know, late teens, early 20s, do you remember, you know, how it it how it manifested in your in your day to day life? you know, having a father that really wasn't around and didn't really seem to give a shit? Yeah, it kind of took until I was about 15, 16 years old. And actually, we uh, we relocated down to the States at that time. Uh, my mom had remarried, and uh, my, my stepfather took a job down in the States. You know, up until that point, like I said, it was every Tuesday, hit or miss, uh, you know, lots of cancellations, uh, in the summer, I, if I recall, I'd maybe go spend a week with him. Um, most of the time, driving around with him, doing his job. Uh, you know, not ever really doing too much. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, 
it's, can you repeat the question again, Carl? Sorry. Well, I was just asking if you remember being a teenager and, and cause let's. Right. in the time. Okay. So yeah. So when I moved to Kansas, you know, I, I kept in contact with them and I would call them, you know, occasionally get through to them. And it got to a point where I realized I'm the one doing all the calling and he's not even calling me. Like I remember birthdays would go by and he wouldn't even call me. Um, you know, Christmas Day, no phone call on Christmas Day. And it took me, you know, a little bit of time because, again, I'm a young kid. Uh, but, you know, within probably about six or seven months of moving down to Florida or down to Kansas, I kind of started to realize he's not really going to be there for me. Yeah. Which was tough. You know, it was tough. Um, in my case, I was lucky. I had a, a great stepfather who stepped in. Um, and I think as you did too, you had a stepfather that came in and, and, and that helped me out a lot. Um, he was a wonderful, kind, amazing man. And, and definitely I wouldn't be who I am today without the upbringing that I had with my stepfather. And, and yeah, you're right, man. Um, you, you know, as you said, I had, I had a stepdad and, or have a stepdad and, you know, for the longest time, um, for the longest time, my stepdad, I think he was really afraid of overstepping his bounds. And I think the irony is my stepdad believed, just like I believed, that one day Tony would come around and, and would, you know, man up and, st- you know, actually start being a part of my life. And what my stepdad didn't want to do is get in the way of my relationship with my, with my father, but what he didn't realize and how could he? So, you know, I don't blame him for anything, but what he didn't realize, of course, and none of us did is that Tony was never going to man up and was never going to do what he should do. But then all of a sudden, you know, you're a 20 year old man and you've got this huge fucking void in your life where there's been no dad to fill it. So I know for you, um, and so the listeners know, we're talking about Ian, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. I know for you, you know, pretty much from the get-go, Ian showed his true colors, and, and he showed what kind of man he was. And, you know, he really took, he really took you guys as his own family and, and treated you that way. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think he realized, you know, that Tony wasn't going to be there. So if he didn't step on, who was going to who was going to help these two kids grow to the men that they need to be? And, and he stepped in. It was, he did a, a phenomenal job. You know, I, I think about that guy every single day. And in case you guys don't know, he has passed away. He's been he passed away in 2009. So it's been a long time, but, you know, I still think about him every single day. And, you know, for the listeners, let's be clear. um, Ian's passing was very sudden, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was uh, a whole nother topic, a whole nother event. Yeah, it was uh, a a challenging time for me. I actually happened to be there uh, when he passed away. Um, what happened was he was having a full ankle um, replacement surgery 
and uh, was having some complications after it. And my mom had asked me to come and kind of help him with the recovery. You know, at the time I was living in Colorado and they were living in Kansas. And uh, his surgery was actually in Denver. And so I met them up and met up with them in Denver. And we were staying there a few days while he just got over the ankle uh, replacement and uh, had a heart attack in his sleep and died two days after the ankle surgery. And, uh, you know, I, my mom woke me up, obviously, and uh, we tried to do CPR on him. And it, it was tough. It was, it was a tough, tough time in my life, that's for sure. Um, you know, it, it's, just, it's a hard thing to see for anybody. Yeah, man. And, and you know, you, you've lived a life where you, you had one father that chose to not be a part of your life um, and clearly wasn't qualified to be a father. And then, you know, your, your mom meets this man who's, who's amazing and he's got kids of his own from a previous relationship and you guys get along with those kids and, and you know, you're like the fucking perfect Brady bunch all of a sudden. And then, right. you know, and then he's taken from you. I mean, where did, where did you go emotionally? You know, how did, how did that, how were the next, you know, six months, 12 months, whatever, you know, what was Scott like during that time? people are sitting in front of me in my studio I can read body language and you know I know I know where I can push things and I know how hard I can push things and you know when you're having a conversation with somebody face to face you can sort of gauge you know how they're feeling and what their comfort level is so you know forgive me if I'm not doing a good job doing that over the phone but I you know what no I talk what comes up for me is, you know, you're a young man and, and not only have you lost, uh, not only have you lost the greatest father figure that you had had, uh, arguably the only father figure that you had had, but you were there and physically present for it and, and, you know, held him as he died. Did you, you know, what, what, what did that create in you? Did you go through a phase of depression or anger or, or, you know, suicidal ideologies? You know, how did that impact you? You know, probably a little bit of depression. Um, you know, obviously I think everybody would when that happens, but at the time my mind switched and I was more wanting to be there for my family and for my mom. And so, 
I kind of switched gears and just kind of ignored it. And I think that's probably one of the problems that I had was I didn't bring it out and, and deal with it head on. I kind of just threw it at the back burner and started, you know, helping my mom out every way I could and being there for her. And, and, and you know, it was tough. It, when you lose somebody like that, there's so much that you have to do that you had no idea about. And you just totally, your life just totally changes. And so, it, it, you know, for a long time, I just kind of threw it on the back burner. And I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it, you know. So I kind of just ignored the whole fact until I married my wife, who I'm married to now for five years. And after I started marrying her, I could actually open up to somebody. And it was, it was nice to talk to somebody about it because it, it, it was hard for me to open up about it. And, and was it hard for you to open up because, you know, were you feeling, you know, some sense of guilt or was it loss or was it, you know, did, was it because you had lost a father or because your mom had lost a husband or sort of a little bit of everything? I think a little bit of everything. Yeah, I really do. You know, um, my mom's like all I got now. I got you, I got my mom. I got some stepbrothers, and it's tough to watch somebody like that go through what she had to go through. And, you know, my mom's had a, a, a tough upbringing, too. Uh, she lost both of her parents early on, um, you know, and then her husband died unexpectedly. Uh, you know, she had to deal with Tony for a little bit of her life. I mean, she's had kind of a tough life, too. So, you know, I wanted to be there for her more than anything. Well, you know, what's funny is one of the things, um, and you know, your, your mom and I are not, we're not close today, but there was a long period of time where we were very close. Um, you know, I don't know if you and her have ever talked about this later in life, but, um, you know, one of the things I remember about your mom is she was always, she was always, you know, very nurturing and loving and kind, even though, you know, I was the, I was the stepson from her, you know, her husband's previous marriage, but I was also, you know, I was even one more degree removed because I was adopted. So here's this, here's this adopted kid who is is not even not even her husband's biological child um you know and she's having to try and figure out her role in my life and she always did such an exceptional job of making me feel you know like like one of the family you know like one of the three brothers uh -huh. in the house uh -huh. and that doesn't surprise me man. my mom's still like that to this day still the exact same woman yeah, I mean, her and I communicate over social media now and then, and and she's just right. She's just got so much love, and she's so she's so fucking genuine, right? Yep. You know yep. what what you see is what she's you get. Positive. She's always positive. She never never anything negative. She always sees the bright side of everything, which is tough to do. Very much so, especially. You know, especially given the life that she's lived and, and some of the adversity yeah. that she's had to overcome. Right. You know, it, it sounds like, you know, one of the biggest differences and, and not a lot of people, 
not a lot of people can identify how important this is, but it sounds like one of the biggest differences with her is that, you know, she always made good choices with, you know, who, who she surrounded herself with, you know, her friends and her loved ones, uh, you uh-huh. know, always making sure that there was lots of love and support around her. And, you know, even through adversity, that's, that's what you need to lean on is, is that tribe that surrounds you. A minute ago, a minute ago, again, a quick apology to the listeners. If, if Scott and I are interrupting each other, it's not because we're being rude or inconsiderate, but in a personal setting, when you're face to face, you can read body cues and you know when the other person's about to talk, but over the phone, it's tough to sometimes read that. Uh, So uh, please again, forgive us. But a minute ago, you said that you know, your mom's all you've got. And then you mentioned you've got some, you know, some step siblings. And, and I think you said me and, you know, you, of course, your, your wife and your children, there was a person that you did not mention. And before I say anything else, are you, are you cluing in as to who I'm saying you didn't mention? Uh, I think I have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we sure can. I'm sure you're referring to my brother, Todd. I am. And just for the listeners, you know, Todd is Scott's older brother by, what, four years? Three years. Three years. So he's older than Scott by three and younger than me by seven. Um, So, you know, when I would go up there and I was, was, uh, you know, a teenager... Uh, he wasn't a toddler and, and he was somebody that I also hung out with a lot. And Todd and I, at least I thought Todd and I always had a great relationship. And I always, truth be told, I always thought you and Todd had a great relationship. And then you and I lost touch for a while. Uh, you know, you moved to the States and that's no excuse, but uh, you know, shit happens, life happens. And then when we reconnected, I was actually quite surprised to learn that you and Todd were not real close, that you guys weren't, weren't fucking best buddies. Um, yeah. You know, what happened? Uh, well, I don't want to go too much into it, but it's all, you know, it all goes back to when uh, my stepfather passed away. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, I know a lot of us were dealing with stuff and, and like I said, my mom was taking it uh, extraordinarily hard, and uh, Todd was not making it any easier. Let's just put it that way. Um, you know, it, it was it was tough to see. Uh, you know, you, here you got your your mom who pretty much single handedly raised you. Um, at, at the time, I was twenty nine, so he would have been thirty two. Uh, pretty much single handedly raised him a good portion of his life, and. You know, she worked two jobs growing up, two or three jobs sometimes growing up after uh, she got divorced from Tony just to support us. And and that shows a lot to me. And, you know, to treat her the way he did after my my stepfather passed away, it just, to me, I I lost a lot for him. Um, You know, I was always there for Todd. Um, There's a few times in in his life where he was struggling uh, one being he was living out in Vancouver at the time and uh, kind of getting into the partying scene a little too much and uh, 
on the downward spiral and you know, I called them up and I said, why don't you move down here, live with me in Colorado. I was living in Colorado at the time. So I kind of brought him in and, and uh, he kind of got back on the right track. He was um, an actual sh- uh, chef at one of the restaurants in, in Vail, Colorado. So he was kind of getting his life back together. And then, uh, you know, he was living with me, lived with me all the way up until the time my father or my stepfather passed away. And like I said, after that, you know, the way he treated my mom, it was just, it, it was tough for me to see that. It was tough for me to see that somebody could be like that to the woman who gave everything for him. Yeah. And I, I lost a lot of respect for him. And, and th- that's basically it. You know, I, I saw him one night, and this was just a few months after my my dad or my stepfather passed away. And uh, I mean, it's just ridiculous stuff. Like she she didn't say hi to his fiance at a charity golf event for my father, okay? So we're having a charity golf event after he passed away, and my mom didn't even go, didn't say hi to his fiancé at the time. And he came in later that night after having this celebration for my, my stepfather and just laid into her how disrespectful she was and how how could she not say hello to his fiancé and just really laid into her and, you know that was it right when i saw that you know that was it i stood up for my mom i said you know what you're not going to treat her like this and ever since we've just kind of gone our separate ways you and i have talked about this in the past um but do you think do you think there's ever any opportunity for the two and you to you to reconnect You know, one thing in life, Carl, I, I never say never to anything. Um, you know, I've learned in life, you just never know what's going to happen, what's right around the corner. Um, I, I think it would take a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, first off, I'd, I'd love to see, because my mom and him don't have a relationship anymore either, uh, which is quite sad because she really wants to. Um, he's got three kids of his own now. Um, she wants to be the grandma to the kids, and, and he's really not allowing her to. Um, you know, he lives back in Kansas still, and, and my mom has friends back there, and occasionally we'll go back and visit her friends back there. And when she wants to go see her grandkids, she has to meet him at his place of work and hang out with the kids at the place of work. Doesn't get to have his, her grandkids to take them out to ice cream you know, to do the grandma things that grandmas like to do. And, and again, that's, you know, really hard for me to see that after this woman here who has put her whole life for you and you have no respect for her. Why do you think he's doing that? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, you know, I have my ideas on what I think it is. Um, I'd love to hear them, I don't, I don't, you know, right, right or wrong. There's, there's no, you know, there's just, I'd love, cause I have, I have an opinion, but I, I'd love your opinion. Unfortunately, I think it goes back to what I just spoke about a few minutes ago, where his fiance, now his wife, obviously, um, I think she has a lot of control in his life. And I think she, I don't, for some reason has a vendetta against my mom, maybe against me, who knows what it is. Uh, but I, I strongly believe that she's 
pretty much the main reason. So I don't, I don't have anywhere near as much information as you do. So your, your opinion is likely way more intelligent than mine. And, and maybe I'm being a little bit too, uh, you know, sort of armchair psychologist, uh, which to the listeners, let me be very fucking clear. I am not a psychologist by any <laughs> means or qualifications. I'm just a guy who likes to talk to people. Um, but part of me thinks, like, if you look at Todd and you look at Scott and and you look at the influences in both of your lives, being Tony and, and, and your mom, Trudy, you know, Todd really, Todd really exemplified a lot of Tony's core values. And, you know, Tony, take me out of the equation. Uh, Todd was the firstborn. Um, you know, and, and the firstborn son, you know, sort of the prodigal son is going to emulate the father's core values, I think. And, and Todd's ability to have these, these expendable relationships that require, almost require a minimum investment. And almost, uh, one of the things I would say about Tony is, it was almost like everybody's indebted to him. Like everybody owes him something. Um, right. I don't know if Todd's, you know, like I said, you know more than I do, but I feel like Todd sort of emulated Tony and, and you really emulated your mom much more. That what you see is what yeah, you get, you know, kind and genuine and forgiving and, and, you know, really just wants to be surrounded by people that, you know, you love and, and that love you. And I just, I find it fascinating that two kids, you know, not even really separated by that many years, but two kids that grew up in the same household could be so, you know, so dynamically different, right? Yeah. And, you know, we were different though growing up too. Um, you know, Todd was, uh, he was, you know, more into academics and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I was more into athletics, doing uh, hockey, playing hockey growing up, golf. Um, you know, so we've always kind of been a little bit of night and day difference. He's dark hair, I'm blonde hair. Um, you know, so there's always been a little bit of difference from us. But, you know, I, I could definitely see where your, your, your point of view is on that for sure. Um, I've never yeah. asked you this question Um you know, when we've, when we've had beers together or when we've chatted on the phone or oftentimes when we exchange sort of late night texts, when, you know, you're just coming home from your, your business and, and, you know, whatever, I'm working late, but do you, do you think that I influenced either of you in, in one way or the other? And I'm not, I'm not suggesting good or bad, but do you think that the, the older brother, like the, the way older brother. Um, cause I, for some reason, and my memory is not the greatest, uh, as the listeners know, my motorcycle crash a few years ago, wiped out a lot of, a lot of long-term data. Uh, so I'm a little sketchy when it comes to going too far back, but I seem to remember that, um, you and I oftentimes would really gravitate to one another and and I really loved that 
that sort of little brother, um, you know, putting you on the ski do and going for a boot or teaching you how to shoot a gun or, and I, I just wonder if, you know, if I ever sort of fractured whatever relationship might have existed or, you know, the dynamic of having a brother that's 10 years older, uh, do you have any thoughts on that or, or any conversations that you've had on that? What are you saying? Like, are you saying, did you have an influence on why Todd and I are are close now? Is that what you're meaning? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I just, part of me wonders if, let me, let me be more succinct. Part of me wonders if, if Todd ever resented the relationship that you and I forged. Um, and if, if there's a pattern in Tony's life, it's when, you know, the moment he feels like he's being held accountable or the moment that he feels like he's an outsider, that's when he severs all ties and, and moves on. It sounds like maybe Todd is kind of similar. I wonder if Todd ever resented the fact that, like, I just fucking adored you and I love being around you. And the older Todd get, you know, he got a little bit difficult to be around and, you know, our values didn't really line up and... And I just, mm-hmm. I wonder if mm-hmm. he ever sort of had a moment where he was like, you know, fuck that guy. You know, he wants to be with my little brother, then go ahead. You know, that could have been Carl, because well, I adored you as a kid. You you were, you were the coolest thing to me. I remember even, even after uh, mom and Tony divorced and uh, I was actually, I think I was spending a weekend at Tony's, a rare weekend at Tony's, and you showed up with all your friends on your motorcycles. I think you were heading up to the Muskokas or something like that. And it was just, I was so happy every time I would see you. you. You just brought a lot of energy, a lot of funness to everything. Um, you know, where Todd wasn't your typical older brother. You know, he wasn't like that. He wouldn't show me stuff as much. Uh, you know, where you would, and I, I don't know, I really, I think I really stuck on to you as a young kid. Um, I wonder I if, like I said, I, I, and you know, that could be it. That could have a, a part of it because here you are not around very often, but still my older brother and he's around all the time. And when you come around, you're it. Yeah. You were it. You were my older brother. You were everything. I wanted to be around you. I wanted to do what you were doing. Uh, you know, I remember you. Do you remember that yellow Yamaha? Was it a Yamaha dirt bike? The it was a YZ80. Yeah. You, you, so you remember that bike? Yeah, I had. So I had a YZ. Uh, maybe it was a YZ50. I don't remember, but anyways, it was a YZ, a yellow Yamaha, and. Uh, I was going to say your cousin, but I guess our cousin, Matt, um, before they outlawed, um, before they outlawed three wheelers, because all they ever did was tip when you turned them, uh, Matt had a yellow three wheeler, also a Yamaha. Uh, and we used to go ripping through, we used to go ripping through RJ's back fields. And I mean, fuck, we were, we were children. Um, I've told this story and and it's so funny because of the way, and I don't, I know you're an amazing parent. Uh, I don't know how you parent and I'm not going to call that into question at all, but I know that for the most part, we 
parent differently today than than in the past. Um, uh-huh. And I remember me and Matt used to go to the back of RJ's property, and if do you remember he had like five hundred acres or a thousand acres or? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I went back for miles. And we used to go. Like, I'm talking at, like, fucking 12, 13 years old. We used to go to the back of his property and spend a night. There was a uh, a natural spring at the back of his property. Yeah. And we would camp yeah, overnight. Many a time. And, and, like, in this day and age, can you imagine letting a 12-year-old get on a motorcycle and go, I don't know how many miles, three acres, a uh, thousand acres is, but let's call it two or three miles away on a motorcycle and camp out. <laughs> Wouldn't happen. No, but Wouldn't happen. anyways, to answer your question. Yes. I remember the white, the, the yellow dirt bike. All right. Well, just picture this. I, I'm definitely afraid of motorcycles. Never been a huge fan of them, but after seeing you on a motorcycle, I was always trying to ride that dirt bike so I could be just like you. <laughs> I remember it. I would always run around the property on that, that dirt bike just to try and get a little bit of what you were going through. And did you figure it out eventually? Oh, yeah. I was never very good at it. You know, it wasn't one of my things. Like I said, you know, bikes have never been a big thing for me. Uh, but I definitely, you know, admired it when you were on them. And, and oh, I, right when, when you got a, what I forget, what, a ninja, I think it was at one point. Did you have a ninja? Uh, I was always, um, I did have a Ninja, but I was always a Suzuki guy, so I always had GSX-Rs. Well, either way, I always wanted one, just because you did. <laughs> and, and then hearing your stories about it, like, I remember you telling me one time you drove from Toronto to Barrie, and I forget what the time was, but it was it was ridiculous. I think at one point you said you flew by a cop, and you tried to cut it down, and and noticed that you weren't going to be able to get it down in time, so you just floored it, went right by him, didn't even move. Knew he would have no chance catching up to you. Yeah, that's uh, not not some of my not some of my proudest moments. Um, and you know, oh, it's all part of growing up. Yeah, and lo and behold, um, my luck ran out in two thousand and three when when I almost died in a motorcycle crash. So. Uh, to those listeners that are driving around like idiots, uh, it will catch up with you sooner or later. Trust me. Um, yeah. I think we kind of just touched on something super interesting there, and that's 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 kind of a, a fun little catharsis that I hadn't thought of before. Um, I've got a couple other uh, a couple other categories that I want to get into. Uh, you know, we're, we're you and I are obviously uh, we're over the phone here. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask that we just we take a real quick. I call them bio breaks. Uh, basically, I gotta go go take a piss. Um, so we're gonna take a quick two minute break, and um, uh, you know to the listeners this will be completely seamless. But uh, Scott, hang tight. We'll get right back in two seconds. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Thanks everybody. So we're back. Um, Scott and I just. Uh, had a little bio break and reloaded on our beverages. So, I mean, you and I could probably spend hours, and we have spent hours, taking a trip down memory lane. And, and of course, there's value to the listeners in hearing a lot of our stories. But what I want to do now, with your permission, of course, is bring us up, you know, a little bit more sort of recently. Let's go back, you know, sort of two, three years. 
Um, you're you're making a trip, uh, and for the listeners around the world, uh, I live in Ontario, which is a province in Canada, and Scott was coming up from Florida, and you were making a trip through Ontario. You reached out and connected, um, sent me a message, and we managed to get all the schedules to work out, and we actually saw each other, spent some time together in a restaurant here in town. Um, what were you, you know, what were, what were you going, where were you at in your life then? You, you know, you had your wife with you, and, um, you know, what chapter in your life were you at when you and I reconnected? You know, uh, big changes in my life right around that time. Um, I had recently just moved to Florida. Uh, at the time, I was living in Kansas, uh, where I met my wife. Um, decided that we'd take a chance and buy a deli on an island down here in Florida. So, when I saw you, we were very new into opening the restaurant. So, a lot of new things were going on in my life at the time. Uh, actually, it was our first trip away that we've ever taken since buying the restaurant. We had, you know, a year and a half of just solid work trying to build our business. And it was actually our first vacation away from the business. So, it, it, you know, again, it's tough, too. You're, you're leaving something for the first time uh, that you put all your time and effort into to grow. It, it takes a lot to have, uh, you know, to believe in the people that are working for you to keep your product going the way it should when you're out of town. I've never had to do that. So it was, you know, a a different time in my life. Um, New business owner, still trying to figure stuff out. Uh, Fairly newlywed. Um, At the time, I think I'd only been married to my wife two years. We had been together for five years, though. Um, So we we knew each other very well at this point in in time. But, yeah, so that's where we were. Uh, We were taking a trip up. Canada to kind of show her around where I grew up. Uh, we kind of did a road trip. Um, started in Toronto, up to Meaford, Tobamori, across on the uh, Chichibon to Manitoulin, right around Sudbury, all the way around the whole uh, Georgian Bay, then back up to Toronto where we met you. Was part of that road trip, so you're back in Florida, and, and I may be... <laughs> I may be overly dramatic, uh, but you know you're 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 at home. You're in Florida. You're on your island. You've had a hard day at work, um, and and you know you and your wife are having a chat about the the impending road trip. Do you or her uh, ever suggest looking Tony up and and stopping in and saying hi to good old dad?
and like duck down between the aisles so they wouldn't have to talk to them, to have to confront them. Um, you know, I, not really. I, I, I don't think it was ever, we never talked about it, at least I know for sure. Um, you know, like I said, there's always that little thought in the back of your head, well, where is he? What if I run into him? But no, it wasn't with the intentions of, of meeting up with him at all. And then, you know, you and I, and it was cut short. Um, that's the wrong way to put it. I think, you know, you uh, you were gracious enough to come up and meet me. And, and you know, I, I, I can speak. I can speak uh, only based on personal experiences, but I was nervous as fuck to go and meet you because I now know the version of you uh, that is Scott, but when I was walking into that restaurant and and when I walked up to you and and before we really sort of turned that that sort of new chapter in our lives where we we connected and you know we can tell each other we love each other and we both have vested interests in our lives and our family before all of that i i didn't know you know we're is is this tony version 2.0 you know what am i being set up for am i gonna go and give this guy a hug and have a beer and get all these fucking warm and fuzzies and then he's just going to evaporate from my life like Tony did countless times. Did it ever occur to you that, you know, who, who was I, uh, what did I become and what had, you know, what had Tony's influence had on me? I was definitely feeling kind of the same with you, a little nervous. Um, you know, not seeing somebody for so long. It's tough. You don't you don't know what you're going into. I, I had no clue what you were into, or or like you said, if you were like Tony, or who knows. You, you just never know. Um, fortunately, I think I had the benefit of the doubt on, on on knowing that you weren't like Tony at all. I didn't really have to worry about that. But you know, you, there was a little bit of, of nerves there for sure. Um, you just never know. You know, uh, the world's a, a different place now, and some people you think are one way and, and they're the total opposite of what you thought they were. So nowadays it's, it's hard to tell. Yeah. And then what I learned, um, you know, as we, as we reconnected and got to know each other, uh, what I learned is really the true scope of who you had become as a man. Um, because not only did you find it within yourself to allow, uh, you know, a life partner uh, into your life and to make the commitment of marriage and to stick to it. And, you know, not only that, and that, that decision's tough enough in of itself, but you also, um, you also accepted some other people in your life with, with your new bride. Did you not? Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. She had uh, two kids from a previous marriage. Um, you know, I think everybody's put on this earth for a, for a different reason. And growing up with the, the father that we had, I always said to myself, I don't want to be like him. You know, this is not, I definitely don't want anybody to feel what I feel. And so I think, you know, 
I had a um, I had a guest on recently, and he came from a very abusive relationship with his father. Um, now, our father was, at least to my memory, and correct me if I'm wrong, our father was never physically abusive, but but you know highly emotionally abusive. I what I was will that? correct you one time on that. Oh. I, I will correct you on one time that I have uh, a memory of. Um, I must have been maybe nine or ten. Uh, Tony had actually came and picked me up and taken me to a hockey game that I had. And came back to drop me off at home. And uh, for some reason, him and my mom got in an argument. And I was still sitting in his car. Like, I guess she came out to me. I, I don't recall the total details to it. Um, but I remember I was sitting in the car watching and, and they're yelling at each other and I watched him layer out into the snowbank. And, you know, that was tough to see then too. But again, you're, you're so young, you're so naive. You, you don't want to believe that your parents are bad. You don't want to believe that your dad's a bad person. Um, so that was a tough, tough thing to see. But, but that was the only time I recall. Um, you know, mom's never told me anything. I've never dug deep into it, but that was the only time I could recall where anything ever went physical. So if you could see me right now, my jaw is on the floor. Um, that's news to me. So he he hit your yeah. mom? Yeah, he laid her out, like just laid her out one punch right in the face, put her on the ground. And then I, re- I recall he picked her up, carried her into the house, put her on the couch, came, walked out to the car and left. And were you still in the car? No, no, I had gone out. I stayed with my mom. Holy fuck. I you know, never... I don't even know if my mom knows that I remember that. I, I've never even talked to her about it. So, <clears throat> you know, this is the first time I think I've ever talked to anybody. I don't even think Todd was there at the time to see what happened. Um, I think it was just in front of me. So not very many people know about that. I mean, like I said, I told you, my wife knows about it because we've obviously talked about stuff. Uh, but that would be it. Well, now, <clears throat> um, wow. I mean, thank you for sharing that with me. That that I'm instantly feeling angry. Um, so, you know, that I, there's no segue to that. And I'm sorry that you had to see that <clears throat> um, because, I mean, you know, Carl, you, you're right. I, I'm sorry I saw it, too. But again, like I said, it motivated me a different way. It motivated me to, to be a person that was not like that. Yeah. It, and, you know, I, I would never ever, and I know a lot of people, but I would never, ever, ever think about laying a hand on any woman at all. And I think it's because of that, you know, that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, of seeing that, you know, at a young age. And like I said, I I knew this is not what I want to do. Yeah. This is not who I want to be like. And, you know, it's tough because a lot of kids don't see that, and they just follow right in their, their, their parents' footsteps. And I, I think you have, you can go two ways. You have the, the the one way of, I'm going to change, I'm going to be somebody different, that's not who I want to be, 
Or you can be, I'm just going to follow in my dad's footsteps. I don't care. He's done all right. I'm going to do all right. That's what I'm going to do. You know, I, I went the opposite. I wanted to make sure I wasn't like that. Well, and, and the interesting thing about, and I agree with that statement, and the interesting thing about that statement is one of those directions in life is a choice that you have to make, and the other direction in life is is a choice that you've not made. And I had a, as I started by saying, I had a guest on recently who who was raised in a very emotional and, and very physically abusive relationship with his father. And, and he had, you know, he has three siblings and, and his mom, and he was constantly exposed to emotional and physical abuse. And much like you, uh, and I guess to, to some degree, you know, me, um, you make a choice where that becomes the point of reference of what you don't want to become. And one of the things I've struggled with over the years, and this is just me being brutally honest with you, and you and I've chatted about this in the past, it's my relationship with Tony is, it's not dissimilar from my relationship with my motorcycle crash. And what I mean by that is, I'm 100% grateful for my motorcycle crash because it allowed me to tap into a strength and a willpower that I never knew I had and and I'm not sure I would have ever tapped into. And one of the things I've struggled with over the years is, am I sort of quasi grateful for the shitty father that I had? And let me be very clear to the listeners, not including my stepfather, um, so just talking exclusively about Tony, am I quasi grateful for the shitty relationship I had with Tony? Because within that relationship, you learn so many core values that you don't want to become. Right. I, I agree a hundred percent with that. And you know, it, it's funny you say that because I, I remember listening to one of your podcasts. I think it was your guest, uh, uh, another gentleman by the name of Scott, actually. And he had a, a very good saying on there, and I forget what it was. It's been a few weeks since I listened to it. Something about his dad taught him something. Do you remember, Carl? Do you so, know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And <clears throat> I, it's, I, I forget what it was. My, he said something like, uh, my dad wasn't perfect, but he taught me perfect things. That's what it was, something like that. It wasn't something like that. It was it was exactly that. You just you just quoted it perfectly, and I've got some goosebumps on my arm right now because big shout out to Scott Kelly, who, for the record, is a devoted listener, and he'll hear this podcast. Um, so I want to make Scott Kelly very aware that not only has he impacted me. But he's impacted my brother, Scott, just with that one sentence. And it, it was, as you said, you know, my dad wasn't perfect, but he taught me some perfect things. You're, you're right. And, and I feel like in our way, he taught us what not to do. And I, I know it sounds weird. It's not a perfect thing, but it is a perfect thing. Yeah. Because he, he taught me what I don't want to be like. 
And, and who knows if I if he wasn't in our lives, what would have happened? Maybe I would have went the other way. Yep. You know, you, you just never know. No, you don't. So and as much as, as much as I, you know, I really don't care for the guy right now. He actually maybe pushed me in the right direction because of who he was. You know, I wonder. I wonder if any of the listeners out there are thinking, you know, his lesson was tough love and, you know, look at the man you've become. And he was successful as a father because what he did was create this, this shining example of the next generation of father. Um, I, I, I I wonder if any listeners out there are going are, are thinking, wow, man, this guy this guy did a great job because look at he you know two out of three sons turned out pretty fucking good, right? But obviously that's not true because, like I said a minute ago, the choices that we have made to become who we are. They were choices that we made based on on sort of the comparison of what we saw in front of us, not not emulating what we saw in front of us. Right. You think about exactly. you think about the relationships that you have, you know, with your with with your wife and with your two daughters. You know, you think about how you've you've how you can create uh, a a a confident, honorable, proud, high-functioning individual with love and support and empathy and, and, you know, always being there. I mean, that's, that's the fucking right way to do it. Uh, there's no tough love is it's an oxymoron. It's, it, I believe tough love is not love. It's, it's fucking bullshit. I agree. hundred percent. So you go on this road trip, you pass through Ontario, you and I reconnect, I get a chance to meet your wife, uh, you sail on and you, you, you spend some time in other parts that are, you know, your old stomping grounds. And then, <clears throat> you know, you and I stay connected and, and we exchange texts and voicemails and we chat on the phone every couple of weeks. And, and then I get a phone call from you Maybe it was a text. I think your memory is probably better than mine, but it's it's an oddly timed phone call or text message. It's like the middle of the fucking day on a Tuesday. Yep. And yeah, I remember this. Normally, most of our, and just in case the listeners didn't pick up on it, uh, Scott and his, his wife uh, own a, a growing business on an island in Florida. Um, you know, started out as a, as a sort of one door deli and then grew into, you know, catering and food truck. And now you're expanding into a new location. I mean, you've, you've really done a remarkable job of growing a very, very uh, successful business for yourself and your family. So for me, it was really strange to get a, a, a to get a communication from you in the middle of the day. Um, why don't you go ahead and, and tell that story? Cause you'll do, you'll do a better justice than I will. Yeah, it was, it was an odd day and, and it was really weird. 
Um, you know, it was actually only about a month, maybe a month and a half after we reconnected back in Canada. And, you know, once we reconnected, you know, you start thinking a little bit more. And, of course, when we talked at the uh, restaurant in Toronto, you know, uh, Tony was brought up quite a bit. We talked a lot about him and, and you know, just catching up, basically. And you had no idea if I was talking to him or I had no idea if you were talking to him. We had, we had no idea. So, you know, it gets your wheels spinning a little bit. And when I got back to Florida, you know, after talking to you, you start thinking a little bit more. Like, I wonder if he really is dead. You know, I, I don't know where he is. What's, you know, who knows? And I remember waking up, and I think you're right, I think it was like a Tuesday morning. And I woke up, and I was getting ready for the day with my wife, and I, I t- turned to her, and I said, you know, I wonder if my dad ever came to our restaurant, I'd be stuck. You know, what do I do? What would I do if he came and walked in? Because I can't run. I can't hide. You know, if he was to call me or text me, I could always ignore it. If you have to email me, Facebook me, you know, social media, you, you can always ignore it. You don't have to see it. But what if he actually came in to our deli? I'd be stuck having to talk to him. Well, lo and behold, two hours after having this conversation with my wife, I see this old man walking across the road, walking towards the deli. And I, I quickly glance out, you know, cause we have this big bay window out front. And I said, man, that guy looks familiar. And he comes into our, into my deli, and I'm at the back. You know, I, I run the back of the house. My wife does the front of the house. And I hear this voice. And, you know, as long as it's been, you, you still remember the voice. And this gentleman says, I'm looking for Scott Mason. And right then, my everything just stopped because I knew who it was. And I look up, and I come around, and I go, I'm Scott. And his first words out of his mouth were, well, you're a big bastard, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. And he goes, I'm your father. Or actually, no, he said, I'm your biological father, is what he said. And... That was about it. He came up. He he uh, he said, "I'm your biological father." He was with a, a lady at the time. He said, uh, "This is my I don't know how he referred to her. This is my wife or fiance or I don't even think he referred to her as anything like that. I think it's more like this is my lady. I think is what he said. And uh, he put out his hand to shake my hand. And at first I stalled. I, I kind of just looked at his hand and let him kind of hold it out there. You know, I'm in shock. I haven't seen the guy in 20 plus years. And he shows up at my deli the morning I wake up and talk to my wife, wondering if he ever showed up at my deli, what I would do. And so you're, you're kind of, I, w- I was stuck. I, I didn't know what to do. And, and, uh, he says, you know, um, we, 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 uh, winter down here in Florida. He actually winters about, it's about an hour maybe an hour and 15 minutes away from me uh, and said that he would like to talk and reconnect if he could and left his number and email and walked out the door. 
And what did you do with that number and that email? Uh, I actually, I didn't keep it. I, I got rid of it. I mean, I, I think I kept it. Actually, my wife actually kept it in her purse for a little bit of time. Um, you know, I, I contemplated what I was going to do. Of, of course, you know, it comes back in your life. And that's why I wanted to call you, too. Um, you know, I think my first instinct, right when it happened, right after you walked the door, probably within two minutes, I picked up my phone and texted you. You and, did. And, you know, I wanted to talk to you and kind of let you know what happened, too, because... You know, we're both in the same boat, and I, I was worried with what decision I make. Maybe it would, you know, affect everybody, yeah. like affect you and affect Todd. But I was trying to, I was going back and forth on what I wanted to do. Um, of course, we had some conversations about it after that. I, I think you called me right back, or within a little bit of time, called me right back, and we had a little bit of a conversation about it. And, you know, it... It's still a tough, tough thing for me. I mean, I guess he's 79 now. Would he be, Carl? Is that right? Uh, I think you may be absolutely right, yeah. Because my mom, his his first wife, uh, my mom, uh, is 77. So, uh, yeah, he's at least two, and maybe. I think he was, yeah, maybe 78. Yeah, he's, yeah, I think, I think... He's at least two years older, so anyways, he's he's um, given the life that he's led, he doesn't have a whole lot of time left on earth. I, I would not think so. I, I definitely, I was, like we, I said, I was shocked to see him. And, and you know, I wholeheartedly thought that I would never see him again. I, I thought for sure he's passed away already. So when you and I chatted, when you and I chatted on the phone, you know, a few minutes later, um, and this is, you know, and I've said this to you before this podcast, so this is, this is not going to be any, any revelation to you, but to the listeners, you know, I want to make sure that they understand full disclosure when I talked to you on the phone, my very first thought after you texted me and I called you was, you know, why not me? Um, I was feeling sorry for myself and, you know, I needed to live in that moment. I, I needed to feel sorry for myself and I needed to be a little bit sort of woe is me. And then I fucking moved past that. And then I realized the magnitude of the position that you were put in where you're in your place of business trying to, you know, create create something for you and the family that you've built on a fucking island seemingly thousands of miles away from Tony, and lo and behold, he's now standing in your face. Not to mention the fact that the, that my mind was completely fucking blown that you had had this, this premonition two, three hours earlier when you woke up that day. Like it, it blew me away. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even know how we begin to explain that. No, and, and you know, there's some things in life I don't think you can explain. It's it just, it, I, I don't know. You know, you hear stories like this all the time. Not all the time, but you hear stories like, you know, I had this premonition and then it happened. And I never thought it would happen to me. Not like that in that, you know, that instance. 
you know what, and, and this, what I'm about to say, it took me a little while to formulate what I'm about to say, but for me, what I feel is if I truly wanted to reconnect with someone, um, I, I, I'd go to your, I'd go to your deli every day and I'd order a sandwich or a soup and I'd sit in that big bay window and take in the beautiful view and I wouldn't impose myself on you. I'd just be there and I'd go back the next day for your lunch special and the next day and the next day. And maybe after like 30 consecutive days, you could come around from the back of house and say, all right, I can kind of see you're serious about reconnecting. But what I find ironic, as quickly as you threw his phone number and email out, was clearly as quickly as he discarded that gesture. He tried once and never tried again. Right. So he doesn't deserve... When he was there... Go ahead. Go ahead. And like I said, it was just what he was in there too was very nonchalant. He was almost a little arrogant. It seemed like a little bit like, "Hey, I'm back. I'm your father. I'm here." You know, well, what am I going to do with that? I haven't seen you in twenty plus years. And now you just want to pop back in and like, "Hey, I, I'm here. Let's uh, have some uh, lunch sometime." I mean that. It's just, yeah and i mean i'm 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 not trying to correct you at all uh, but I, you know i think you and i have chatted that it takes a lot fucking more it it takes the amount of effort the amount of effort that goes into parenting and and being a father is not replaced by crossing a street right you there's something that I, I I don't think I've referenced in past podcasts, um, but I think there may be some confusion because you are my brother. Uh, I I I love you and consider you my brother, and um, there's no version of our relationship where you are not my brother. But some of the astute listeners may have picked up that when Tony walked into your deli, and in fact, when I introduced you to this show as Scott Mason, they may they may wonder, oh, what what is why are their last names different? And I know uh, Scott, I know you know this story, but just anecdotally for the listeners, I'll I'll just fill in some details. So I I was Carl Anthony Mason. Um, and, and I, I had Tony's last name and then I got married, uh, to my first wife and I took her last name, um, mainly out of solidarity that she was one of three daughters of an immigrant family. And I didn't want their family name to evaporate through each successive marriage. So I took her last name and then we divorced in a ball of fire and, and, um, then I'm left thinking to myself, well, what, what last name do I, what, what moniker do I actually fucking want? And I actually, uh, you know, my thought was, I don't want to continue and, and Scott, please forgive me, but 
I don't want to continue the Mason last name. I don't want to give Tony the honor of of having a wife and grandchildren that that can covet his name. Uh, so I I dropped both of my last names and I just went with Carl Anthony. So to the listeners, that's why I am Carl Anthony. Uh, although I do not begrudge. Uh, Scott uh, for carrying on the Mason last name because you know he he'll do a much better job of it than Tony ever would. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I thought about it too many a times. Believe me, about changing my name as well. Um, you know, I it, it still crosses my mind to this day. And, and you know, there was, still was like I don't know if you remember them too much, but but Tony's parents. They were decent people. I don't know. Do you remember Ken and Ivy much? So our grandparents. You know, I. So if I if I came up to Meaford every other weekend, and if I spent half a summer, um, that means that give or take maybe ten percent of my life was spent in Meaford, and of that ten percent maybe 10% of that was ever spent around around Ken and Ivy, my grandparents. So in a very limited scope, I remember them being lovely people that were, Ken was, Ken was a bit quiet and a bit hard. And you could see that there were some, you know, there were some cats banging around in the rafters in his brain. Um, And I think, I think Ivy always tried to overcompensate and, Ivy always made sure that, you know, there it was, you ever been at a birthday party when there's a kid there that's had too much sugar and you get the parent that's going, oh my God, I'm so sorry that he's acting like such an idiot. He's had way too much Gatorade. Ivy, Ivy always had these disclaimers for why we should just sort of understand that Ken was acting the way he was. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember. I, I but, really liked Ivy. Oh, she yeah. was she was salt of the earth, and I've never yeah. said this to my mom, but but my mom reminds me so much of Ivy that that nurturing old school, very traditional values, not an enemy in the world. Uh, everybody loved her, right? But she was constantly fucking making right. excuses, and so yeah. I, I I do remember them, and I I have a bit of a different memory than maybe you do because I also saw some dark sides right. to Ken. But, you know, and I'm not even saying now, like, who knows down the road where my mind will be and what I'll do, but it's always been there on on changing my name as well. Um, I I thought the same way as you. Well, I don't want to carry his name on. Why would I want to do that? What what has he ever done for me? Why would I want to do that? But I think there is some good in our family further down the line than just him. And like I said, I think Ivy was a very nice lady. Um, and so I'm not doing it out of respect for them. I don't know. It's just, it's a tough thing to do, I think. It is, and, and you know, don't take it lightly. And, and you know, you have, you have biology. So, you know, you can trace your lineage back hundreds of years and, and, Yes, there, there, there was certainly a fucked up generation. Um, who, but Tony shouldn't define for you biologically 
I don't think Tony should define what Mason was for Tony. I think possibly Mason can define who Scott makes it become moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, think think beyond you. You know, think your kids and your grandkids, and when they look back on the lineage, I'd like to say that you want to be able to trace your name back a dozen generations and understand that, you know, it's a name of 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 magnitude and, and not just defined by a shitty father that wasn't there for us. That that's that's giving him you know, I don't know, that's giving him too much power. And as I say that I immediately right. realize, you know, maybe I made the wrong decision, but um you know, I'm not I'm not gonna unchange my name, but but then there's also, you know, the other school of thought is you, you're you hardwired to be somebody that makes very decisive, very clean-cut decisions, and you've got a tremendous willpower where when you make a choice to move on from something, you move on some, from something, and, you know, maybe this could be representative of this next chapter in your life with your wife and your your beautiful children and, and the great relationships that you do have with your Step siblings and your mom, uh, so maybe it could be right. sort of cathartic. Yeah. Um, on that note, yeah. I, I got to take one more quick bio break, and then I've got I've got two other sections that I want to get into. Um, are you okay to keep chatting for another uh, another little bit? Oh yeah, I'm good. Okay, yeah. so good. we're gonna take a quick pause, and uh, we'll be right back. Okay, everyone. All right then. Bye for now. Bye bye. All right, so we're back. Um, Scott and I have refueled. As I just said to Scott, and bear in mind uh, to the listeners, he lives in Florida, uh, about 130 miles, 140 miles away from one of the best rum-producing countries uh, in the world. I just told Scott that I've switched gears. I was drinking a little bit of little bit of red wine, but now I've switched to a, a really nice bottle of 18-year-old dark rum. So... Uh, I've asked for a lot of forgiveness from the listeners uh, so far based on audio quality, but I also want to ask additional forgiveness from the listeners that, um, you know, if if I or we are getting a bit drunk, understand that these are pretty emotional conversations. I mean, to the listeners, I would say, think about this. Imagine having a conversation with your brother who was the son of your adoptive father and neither of you have had a relationship with him for two or three decades and then you're trying to map out and trying to identify who the fuck you are within the relationships and you know somehow you still have to focus on the fact that you're family but you're not family that's connected by any sense of biology or blood but your family because you're two men that have a very, very strong uh, sort of moral compass and and a a strong value of, you know, one of the biggest takeaways was we both learned what not to do and how to covet the people that we love. So to the listeners, just give me an extra inch on this podcast. On that note, so we we just told the story of when Tony walked into your deli 
and I, I want to shamelessly, shamelessly plug your business. Uh, so, Scott, what's the name of the island that, that your deli's on? We're on Anna Marie Island, which is just off the uh, west coast of uh, Florida, just south of Tampa. Um, beautiful island. You can't find a better place in America. It's, it's wonderful. Now, White sand, clear water. Um, is, is, can you get to this island? Uh, forgive my ignorance, uh, my, my geographical ignorance, but uh, is it road access or do you have to get to this island by boat? No, it is road access. We do have road access in and out. Um, drawbridge roads. So, you know, of course, they go up every once in a while to let the boats through. So you can be landlocked from it, but, you know, for the most part, there's there's a highway that or not a highway, a road that comes right on. So this this podcast will air uh, probably in about a week or so, and on the eve of this podcast, you've got a you got a pretty ferocious storm heading towards you. Um, do you guys are you making any preparations? Uh, what does the island look like? You know, uh, it's an eerie thing. It's happened to us twice now since we've been down here. We had Irma about two years ago, and then now Dorian this year. Uh, fortunately, Dorian now is, is taking a uh, hard shift, and it's not going to affect us like they thought it was. But for a good portion of last week, it, it was basically going to hit us right on. And, and it's really crazy, Carl. I've never seen a place like this. Like it's You go to the grocery store, and imagine this, there's nothing there. The shelves are completely empty, minus some stuff that you don't need in an emergency, right? Yeah. So like that cat litter or whatever, you know, they're still up on, on the, the shelves. But the grocery store is completely empty. You go to a gas station, and there's not one gas station that has gas because all the gas is sold out. You can't find water anywhere. You go to Home Depot or to Lowe's, which are like the building centers where you get your wood down here. I don't know if they have them up there or not. Yep. And there's not one piece of wood to be bought because everybody's boarding up their windows. It's just a really weird feeling. Like, it's, it's crazy. But it also brings out the good because everybody's trying to help everybody, right? At a time where you think everybody would be aggravated and fighting over stuff and fighting over that last case of water it really brings the community together. So it's kind of cool in a, in a way, but it's scary at the same time because you don't know what to expect. Like, I mean, ultimately, you know, being on an island, if a Category 5 hits us, there's no longer an island there. We're done. Yep. It's toast. So, like, I mean, the storms, I don't know if you've seen the storm surges in the Bahamas and what it looks like in the Bahamas. Oh, it's We'd be completely underwater. Yeah, I mean the Bahamas. The Bahamas is gone. Yeah, it's devastating. I, I feel for those folks over there so bad. It's unbelievable. And you know, we're lucky in Florida because we can drive away from it. We have enough time, enough warning. We could drive, and eventually we'll be out of it. In the Bahamas, where are you driving to? Well, you're you're the only all way off is by plane or boat, right? And a lot of people don't have the means to do that, that live over there. You know, these aren't like well-established countries. It's not like they're, 
crazy amazing jobs over there. So a lot of these people don't have access to a boat or to a plane ticket to fly away from it. So they're stuck on these islands. It's, it's awful. Well, and you're also, and this is not the direction I want to take this podcast in, but you're also, you know, in Florida, you're still part of mainland USA. So you've got, right. um, and, and you're, you're, you know, fundamentally you're white collar, um, uh, you know, affluent USA. So you've got the attention of the government that if you, if, if you don't avoid the storm, at least, you know, there's, there's resources and, and funds at your disposal to rebuild, you know, can you imagine being, uh, and I, I I'm not going to name names, uh, cause I don't want to get myself into hot water, but you know, there've been, there've been other cities and other States that have been hit by storms that, you know, underprivileged people typically occupy those, those areas and they don't get the attention they deserve. Uh, so I, I can't even imagine what it would be like you know, sitting on your front porch with your wife at the end of the night after you put your kids to bed and you've worked a hard day uh, in your business, wondering whether or not tomorrow is going to be the day that everything's gone. That's scary. It really is. And, you know, it, it wasn't as bad with Dorian here because we're over on the West Coast and it was hitting the East Coast. But for a minute, like, it was going right over top of us. But last two years ago with Irma, it went right over top of us. Like, it was directly, the eye of the storm went probably 10 miles south of where we live. And it was scary. Like, I, we evacuated. Luckily, I have a few friends that live on the uh, the other coast, on the east coast. And we evacuated to their place. But you're right. When we left, we had no clue if our house would be here. Yeah. We had no clue if our restaurant would be there. I mean, you're leaving with so many questions. And it's, it's scary. It so really is. Does it? when you catch wind sorry that was a really bad pun not intended <laughs> no I, and I mean that hand on heart this was not intended but when you catch wind of a storm coming your way and you go to the grocery store or or the home depot or the lowe's and there's nothing there and then you survive it because the storm turns and and you know mother nature spares you does it foster, um, uh, what, what's the term, uh, the, the prepper mentality? Uh, do you run out nope. and, and buy, you know, 200 gallons of water uh, for Canadians, liters of water? Uh, do you buy, you know, tons and, and tons of plywood and, and canned beans? Like, do you prepare for the next storm that it's not... It's not if, it's when. Like, how do you... That's when. Do you... You're exactly right. Do you take any measures in your day-to-day life to prepare you for the next time? 100%. 100% you do. After Irma, we, we've totally changed everything. Irma, we were not prepared for. No clue. Like, even my wife and I, like, once we, you know, once it was decided that Irma was going to come around Florida down the south, and curve perfectly and come up and cross land again right over top of us, it's only two days out. And so we went to the stores then looking for boards to board up the windows. You can't find anything. Yep. I found a few pieces of board at a, at a hardware store 
And of course, you know, they raised the prices of everything. And now they've, they've changed it because they call it price gouging. And it, it was a big issue with Irma. So now there's some regulations and stuff about price gouging. But I've literally bought four pieces of plywood for 150 bucks that were probably maybe three foot wide by six foot. And let's be let's be clear to the Canadian listeners. That's about two hundred and twenty five dollars Canadian for for four three by sixes, um, which yeah. in a in a Canadian Home Depot that's going to cost you probably twenty two bucks. Yeah. So you're and, you're and, you know we're just you're you're desperate you're desperate you know you're looking for anything. We're calling on the phones to the different building centers. Do you have any wood? Do you have any wood? No. And, you know, water is the number one thing. Water is the number one thing that goes out first because everybody buys water. And even this time, like, we stocked up. We bought, like, I think we bought eight cases of water before, during, like, last week. Uh, we, we have five uh, five-gallon containers of gas that we went and filled up, so we had 25 extra gallons of gas. Now, the one thing that helped us, before we get back on topic, I know you want to cut this quick, but the one thing that saved us this time was our food truck, because we have a generator on it, and that generator can run anything, and so now we're going to have hot food, we're going to have cold food forever, you know, for the whole time, we just got to make sure we have enough gas, so that's why we went and stocked up and had the 25 gallons of gas ready for for the generator on the food truck, so this time, you know, you definitely do, and you learn more every time you have a storm come through. But yeah, we after Irma came through two years ago, it totally changed. It changed not just us; it changed everybody here. Because for the longest time, uh, uh, a hurricane hadn't gone over this area. I think it was like I think they said forty or fifty years before one had even came close to us on this side, and so nobody was prepared. And so I think it changed a lot of people's mentality. And a lot of people were more prepared for this one. And, and, you know, you did see a difference on this one. It wasn't as crazy as it was when Irma was coming, when nobody had a clue what to do. I mean, you'd even go to Home Depot, and there weren't any, like, concrete screws to screw into the concrete. Like, I mean, they had nothing. Completely bare. So It's an eerie feeling. It's really weird. While we're on the subject, um, and we'll, we'll get back to we'll get back to the sort of more personal side of this podcast, but while we're on the subject, um, this is actually a question I've never, I've never thought to ask you. Um, but given where you live, I'd be very curious. And, and given, given your renewed sense or not renewed your, your new sense of preparedness, um, are you also, uh, are you a licensed, uh, firearm, uh, carrier do you do you own guns is is part of your you know is is part of your uh, disaster protocol uh, to make sure that you're well armed and well equipped it's funny to say that you know carl i've, I've never been a fan of guns um i think growing up in canada was part of it i know you have hunting up in canada and stuff but as a youngster you, you're not around guns like you are down here um, you know, down, especially when we moved to Kansas, everybody had a gun. I, I remember a story of our neighbor at the time a few years ago when we lived in Kansas said, I'm, I'm within five steps of a gun anywhere in my house. 
that's crazy to me. I, I would but, agree. You know, you ask that question. You, you ask that question. It has crossed my mind, and especially down here in Florida, because Florida is a different place. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I have a good buddy that lived in Kansas. He's a judge, and he said there's three there's three fucked up states in the United States. He said Florida, California, and New York. And you, you know, he's probably pretty close to right on because there's a lot of messed up people in Florida. Now, don't get me wrong, Florida is a great place, tons of great people, but if something weird's going to happen. It's going to happen in Florida. So, so you know, it has crossed my mind. Uh, the biggest thing is just to protect your family for the sole reason. Like you said, you know, you have to protect your family. We haven't gone that route yet. I hope we don't have to go that route. Um, you know, like I said, I'm not a big fan of guns. Uh, so I hope I don't have to do that. But you never know. You never know what the future holds. And like I said, Florida, if you're in one state that would cause you to make sure you had a gun, it would be Florida. So I am in the process of um, becoming a licensed uh, firearm carrier and and hunter. So in, in Canada, you have to you have to get your firearms license. Uh, and then you have to get your hunter's license and then you got to wait 30 days for the government to clear you and then you can go out and buy a gun but then before you can actually kill anything you have to buy uh, each year depending on geography and time of year you've got to buy a, what they call a tag um, so you can yep. have an elk tag or a, 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 a deer tag, antlerless deer tag. You have to buy a tag to go out into the woods and, and shoot these things. But right. I, I'd be lying if I didn't share with you that when I'm a licensed firearm carrier and so I, right now I, I own no guns and, and uh, my home protection is is a French bulldog and the baseball bat that I sleep with under my pillow. Other than that, uh, and, and to the listeners, if you're ever thinking of a home invasion, you know, I, I, if you want some big six foot one, 230 pound gorilla charging down the stairs with a baseball bat, if, if you still think you got the juice to get past that, then go for it. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that, in the next 30 days, I will be a licensed gun carrier and I will have a gun in my house. And for those that are going to ridicule me, I will have it in a safe and the ammunition will be locked in a separate safe and the key to both would be locked in a separate safe. So all of the measures would be taken. I completely empathize with the thought of having a gun in the house to protect yourself in the eventuality and it hopefully knock on wood for for you and all those that I love that it never happens. But I'd be lying if I right. said it wouldn't. It's not going to help me sleep better at night. Right. So I wonder for you. Oh, I understand. You know, when a storm blows through and you've got the twenty five gallons of gas, and you've got the five cases of water, and you got the food truck with the generator that'll run on anything, well, the first thing I'm going to do is steal your food truck. 
and your gas. Right. And then I'm going to take right. your house and steal your water. Right. So it's... it's yeah. I, I see what you're saying. And, you know, I hope it doesn't get to the point like that yet in this life. But like I said, when these storms come in, it's crazy because everybody becomes one community. And they really help out each other. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, the last time Irma came through, we lost power in our house. And let's think about this. We lost power in Florida in early January, or early September for nine days. No AC, no nothing for nine days. What did you eat? It was unbelievable. Oh, well, eventually places started opening, right? So, like, uh, they would get certain areas of town lit back up with electricity, and then they move on to the next section and light that. Yeah. So, you know different sections a lot of eating out because that's all we could do yeah um and like i said for irma we weren't prepared as well so we weren't buying a ton of stuff um we had a little bit of food and a little bit of canned goods and stuff like that but for the most part we ate out we'd go out and eat out and and find the restaurants that were open but it was crazy like we went by the 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 first night or the second night we came home because i told you we evacuated there was a few McDonald's open and a few fast food places open. But there no joke, there'd be a line two or three miles. And I'm not even exaggerating to get into the drive through at McDonald's. Just to get dinner for your family. Trying to get a hot food. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get some hot food. And that's all it is. And so, that's why and like you said, I agree with you. I'm worried too about that. And that would be the only reason I would ever purchase a gun was for the sole purpose of protecting my family in a, a situation like that. Fortunately, I haven't seen it get that way yet. If I ever do, I'll be right along with you in that boat and, and buying one solely for protection. I don't need one of those AR-15s or assault rifles. Just give me a handgun. That's all you need to do. You shoot a handgun once or twice, it's going to scare whoever is after you, and, and they're going to take off. Um, you know, I, I don't see the need for those big guns at all. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I see your point of view. Now, my question for you, can you do a concealed carry in Canada? I don't think you can, can you? So you can have, uh, you can have, there's two different categories. You can have unrestricted or restricted. Um, unrestricted would be for predominantly for hunting, uh, you know, rifles and the like. Uh, restricted tends to be more sort of handgun. Um, I don't know the answer to the question, so I, 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 I'm not sure if we have. My guess would be we... I don't think you do. No, because you know what? I'm 48 years old. I've lived in Canada my entire life. I've never not once been in a lineup at a Walmart or a Tim Hortons and seeing a handgun on some, uh, unless you're a, uh, right. an officer. So I would say, no, we don't have right. a conceal and carry. Right. But you know, it's that's one thing they have here, obviously. Yeah. Um, which, uh, like I said, I, it just, it, it to me, it, the, anyways, it, we're, we're getting off on a tangent, which I love this tangent <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the comment section and the forum is going to blow up, uh, pardon the pun, over that. But um, the one thing that came to mind is something you said about your island and and 
I love that you live in a place where when a storm hits, you all, you all, you all rally side by side and you support each other. Unless you're the guy selling wood, it sounds like the guy selling wood doesn't embrace the same sort of uh, tribal mentality that you do because he jacks up the prices. Um, but what, what comes up for me though, Scott is in situations like that, there's a run rate. So there's, there's a finite period of time where for the first little while people are going to get along and they're going to cooperate and they're going to share resources and they're going to look out for each other. But once you reach that point in time where resources are sparse, it's it's anarchy and everybody's going to go for whatever it is they need to take care of themselves. So it's not a terrible right. idea to prepare you and your family for, you know, some sort of quasi fallout. And in your case, right. it, it's probably Mother Nature related. Of course it would be, yeah. So yeah. getting back on hey, track. Um, These storms are getting bigger and bigger every every year, too. It's crazy, right? So, I mean, it's only, like you said, a matter of, of when, not if. It's only a matter of when. You know where we've never had a hurricane? Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've we've never had a storm surge yeah. in Ontario. Maybe you should move back. Hey, I thought about it. Believe me, and you know we're we, we're always looking to expand on our deli. So you, you never know. I, I would love to have a place back there, and you know, run back and forth, just kind of like the snowbird, what they call the snowbirds down here. Uh, do my summers up there where it's nice and cool and do my winters down here where it's nice and beautiful. Well, I can tell you the town that I live in, the town that I live in, we don't have, we don't have a deli and we don't have a food. We no, we don't have a deli and we don't have a food truck. And, and, (laughs) and if you could, if you could leverage the, um, so the town that I live in, we're big proponents of, um, buying and sourcing local. If you could open up a deli yep. that that bought and sourced and supported local, oh man, you'd fucking yep. kill it. Yeah, they call it for, farm to table, right? Oh, farm to mouth. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be good. I, I like that too. That's my style. That's what I like to do. And you know, even here, we 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 locally source as much as we can at our deli and on the food truck. And why wouldn't you? I mean, you got all these. I mean, Florida is the mecca for seafood, for one. For two, you know, they got everything down here. Tomatoes they grow year round. I mean, there's so much that grows down here. Why wouldn't you use it? But anyways, back on topic. Yeah. Well, not not that that was off topic. I want to be clear that uh, you know I'm I'm having a podcast with my brother, so anything's anything's on topic, but. For the sake of the listeners, I do want to share a quick story. And, and Scott, you're aware of this story. Um, so y- your interaction when Tony walked into your deli and and you and I chatted about it, um, your interaction actually sparked um, a, a train of thought within me. And, and, and the way that you were able to 
have such a sense of closure with your relationship with Tony really inspired me. And I want you to know that. And I think we've talked off air, but on air, I want to say you fucking inspired me. Um, and I realized, I realized that Tony has been such a brutal crutch in my life. And, and I've, it, he, he has proven to be a debility in my life that has prevented me from, um, being the best possible version of myself. So I was thinking, what do I need to do in order to truly once and for all move on from Tony? So you had, um, you had been kind enough to, or, or maybe cruel enough. I'm not sure which one. Um, you gave me Tony's email and, uh, I said, yeah, yeah. I uh, actually contacted that lady through Facebook that he's with. That's the only way I had contact with him. Like I said, I lost his, his number and, and the email. That's how I got her, her, your, the email for you. I didn't know if I told you that. Uh, you did. You did. And, and I mean, I, I was yeah. grateful that you made the effort to do that. So, so I, I sent Tony, our father, I sent Tony an email and it was basically a, a complete get out of jail free card. Uh, you know, it was a very benign email. And I had said, you know, look, I hold no grudges. I'm not asking for any answers or explanations. Uh, I just want to see if there's an opportunity for the two of us to talk. And, and you know, so the listeners know this was only a couple months ago. So I was I was in the midst of trying to build We As Men Start Talking. So... Um, you know, it was really important that I engage conversations, whether they were, you know, pleasant or painful. So I reach out and I, I send Tony this email. Um, two months go by with no answer. And uh, Scott, you know this because I had forwarded forwarded you the, the messages. So I get a message uh-huh. back two months later. So for eight weeks, I'm sitting on, and I'll just be honest, I'm sitting on fucking pins and needles. Every time I hear the chime go off in my phone, uh, that's the email chime, I check my phone and immediately, no, it's not Tony. Tony hasn't responded. My dad is still ignoring me. Okay, next email. This this heightened sense of optimism. Nope, still not Tony. So finally, one day, two months later, I get an email back and it's from Tony's email address and I am fucking skipping across the house because I've heard from Tony. Well, it turns out it was his partner, fiance, spouse, whatever the fuck she is. And her response to my email was, if you're really serious about this, please don't give up. So I sat down with my wife and I called you, Scott, and we talked about this and I talked about this with my wife and I said, what the fuck does that mean? So none of us could come up with any sort of functional answers as to what that might mean. So my email response was, I don't know what that means. I need you to tell me a little bit more. Two days go by and she... I'm guessing she, his partner, responds with, sorry, 
sent that to the wrong email. So here I am. Within within like a six month period, my brother, the guest on this podcast, has had our father walk into his shop and hold out a hand. And then fast forward six months, I get an email, which granted it was in response to my email. So I I elicited that response. But then only to find out that the chain of response was erroneous, that it was a fuck up and that his, his partner didn't mean to respond to the email that his estranged son of 25 years had sent with his fucking hand on his, uh, what's the heart on his sleeve. So I'm trying to manage that complete catastrophic failure while at the same time still trying to be loving and supportive to you as you've had our father walk into your business. So there's no, there's no question there. There's no, I'm not looking for anything from you. I just really, that's the first time I've ever vented about that. But what a series of fuckery. Anyways. You know, I, I think we, I touched on it a little bit with you. I, I, I think it's fishy, that, that email and the response you got. I wouldn't be surprised if she wrote that, meaning that, because in, in all actuality, when they were at the deli, it looked like I would say that she was the one who got him to come. I don't think it was him saying, I'm going to go to the deli. I think it was her pushing just from her reaction when she was standing in there, you could just, you could tell she wanted something to happen good. You know, she wanted me to take them in and just say, okay, we're back to normal. Like, she just looked like she, she probably had a big say in him coming to see me. And I think, personally, what I think what happened was she responded to you that first time saying, please don't give up. And I'm sure... Tony saw the email and for whatever reason gave her shit about it. And so she had to reply back. Now, I don't know why. Uh, so sorry to the listeners. What, what, what starting where? Uh, so we're recording again to the listeners. We had a bit of a technology hiccup. And what Scott was saying um, is that, you know, he believes that, that Tony's partner was the one that encouraged Tony to cross the street and to go into Scott's Deli, and that is the name of the restaurant, Scott's Deli, and that probably she was also the one that responded to my initial email saying, if you're serious about it, please don't give up. But then Scott's comment to that was that uh, she, uh, Tony probably saw her response and then kiboshed and said, Sorry, I sent it to the wrong email address. Now, and, and I don't know why he would do that. Like I said, um, I don't know. And I don't know why he came to me and not you and not Todd. Um, maybe it was a, a chance of him being just 60 miles away. It was, it was easy for him to do it, to come see me first. I don't know. Um, you know, and again, I, I, I guess I really don't care because I've moved on. I don't need him in my life. 
life now. I've totally moved on from him. Um, it's tough. It's tough to say that, but you know, 25 years without having he, he missed the best part of my life, like the biggest part when I need a father. You know, those, those adolescent years when you're growing up and, and you're learning stuff, and you know, he wasn't there. So, I, I, to me, I, I don't. I don't see why I need to have them back now. <clears throat> I've never said this before. Um, and Scott, I want to be very, and I, I, I won't, I won't go on. I won't continue until you tell me um, that, that you believe me. I've never said this before, but, I think one of the biggest things that has impacted I don't hold a grudge uh, I don't resent you um, I don't I don't resent any of the interactions that you've had with Tony so the part where I won't continue unless I believe that you agree is I need you to agree that there is no malice in my heart, that I truly, truly love you. And and you are my brother, even though we are separated by some mileage. I, I hope you believe that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're definitely my brother, man. I always will be, and always have been. What no can... What thank you for saying that and and you know you've shared some stories tonight that uh, I'll be honest are are new to me um, how much you revered our time together you know we've talked about it sort of anecdotally but how much you revered our time together I'm not sure I ever really fully understood the extent to which you know I impacted our our childhood you know I'm tremendously uh -huh. grateful for that. You know, I, and I'm thankful for it too. Believe me, you know I, I, I'm thankful you've been in my life. You've had a big part of my life. Well, I, and you and I are, you know, we're we're fallout, right? I mean, we're. I don't know. I talked about this in another podcast where the victims of trauma tend to be much closer. Uh, because you know they've they've cohesively survived something. You know we've gone through something together. Right, right. But the I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. The the sadness within me, and one of the biggest reasons why I'm not in a place where you are, where you can make peace and move on and say, fuck it, and you don't give a shit, and and this is the next chapter of your life. I think one of the biggest things for me is that because I'm adopted, um, and this is going to sound like, um, well, you know what, I'm not sure how this is going to sound, but because I'm adopted, I was, I was chosen. There was, there was a long list of decisions that were made to bring a baby into that home. It wasn't just, 
a night of sex, which any of us can do. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, m- many of us cannot procreate. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, no, uh, you know, disrespect to, to anyone that cannot have children biologically, but in my particular instance, you know, I was a child that was chosen like a fucking puppy out of a, 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 a foster home kennel and, and they made a choice to bring me home. Like a months, months went by before the choice was actually made. So I think what I really struggle with, brother, is, and it's so funny calling you brother, because that's a term that I use to my friends, but you're actually my brother. I think the problem that I, the thing that I really struggle with is, uh, you know, as an adopted child, the excommunicating me from from his life that was like a a double fuck. Not only did you choose to adopt me, but you chose to leave me. Right. So, and, and I can totally see where you're coming from on that, hundred percent. I've never said that before, and I've certainly never said that to you, and it feels very cathartic to have my brother on the phone, who is biological to Tony, and to say that to you, and I wouldn't have said it if I didn't think you could interpret it without me offending you. Right. No, I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I would, if, to tell you the truth, Carl, if I was you, I'd be the same way. I would feel the same way because you picked me then. Why don't you pick me now? Yeah. What, what's different, right? Like, yeah. why, why did you pick me when I was a kid at a foster home and then now I'm grown and have a family and you don't want to pick me now? And I feel for you on that, Carl. I, I really do. Um, and, and believe me, uh, if I, we could have it another way, I would. Uh, like I said, I, I, I can, I can move on. And, you know, I've had to do that in my life, though. You know, I've had to do it since I was 15 years old. I've had to move on. You know, with my original dad, Tony, and then with my father, my stepfather passed away. You, you have to move on. It's tough sometimes. It's tough to do, but you know that's life too. You know what I feel like right now. I feel like I'm on the front of the snowmobile and you're driving it. <laughs> I think we could make that work. You know, I'm a little bit bigger than you now. Okay, ease up there, big rig. <laughs> yes, you, you, uh, yes, my little brother grew up and he's a fucking giant. <laughs> well, um, listen, man, you know, uh, you got a business to run. You got a family to tend to. Um, we're coming up on on uh, sort of late at night. Um, you've got some water to buy and some gas cans to fill. 
Uh, you gotta, I, 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 I want to say, unless there's anything else, uh, unless there's anything uh, glaring uh, that I've missed or anything that I've fucked up on, um, I, I cannot wait until you're in my studio live and we can have a conversation you know this conversation was two brothers talking about a broken father uh but i can't wait to have you in my studio and talk you know man to man and and talk about all the all the intricate little moving parts of what it is that we're trying to do in this thing called life um yeah you you got anything uh anything else you you no you know, I'm I'm really happy you asked me to do this today, Carl. You know, I, I appreciate it, and I, I really respect what you're doing. I think you're doing a wonderful thing. Um, you know, you, you do it. You're made for this. This is what you should be doing. Um, I could just tell by your passion for it. You know, listening to the other podcasts, you're doing what you need to be doing, and I'm very proud of you. You know what, man? Coming from you, that means a lot, and. One more shameless prop. Scott's Deli. Check it out. Um, if you don't follow him, uh, Scott, what's your Instagram? Uh, you know, I, I, my, my kids do my Instagram. I'm on Facebook, though. Uh, we got two Facebooks. It's Scott's Deli, and then we have Scott's Deli Food Truck. We have a website. It's uh, com. Are you on, uh, you're not on Twitter or, or, you know, Instagram or anything? Oh, we are. Um, you know, I just don't know what we, like I said, my daughter (laughs) takes care of most of all that for us. Uh, I'm still one of those old schoolers, just new in the, uh, technology. I'm not very good with all that stuff. So she's been helping us out quite a bit with it. Um, we're just starting to do more Instagram now. Uh, you know, most of our stuff's done on Facebook, but um, yeah, we're, we're we're getting moving on everything. Well, so if, if you're ever down south and you're looking for a killer lunch, go go see my brother at Scott's Deli. Um, and in closing, what I'll say is, Scott, um, when you're up in Canada next, and I'm not sure. My guess would be we're going to be down to see you before you come up here. But next time you're up here, I'd love you. I'd love to have you in the studio. Um, I'd love yeah. to have more than just you know sort of a passing through road trip. Um, and and yeah, for sure. You know, uh, you've you've blown my mind a yeah, few times tonight, brother. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you having me on. I- and I think we have more to talk about in the future. I think we could have some good uh, conversations in the studio. So, Scott, uh, don't hang up. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign off and uh, close out the podcast. Uh, but don't sign up. Uh, don't hang up just yet. So, that was this sure. week's. Uh, that was this week's. We as men start talking. Uh, really hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I know I did. And uh, please just try and remember. Always be the best possible versions of yourself that you can be. Uh, love and peace, out for now. They don't advertise for killers in the newspapers. That was my profession. Thank you so much for listening, but now it's time for you to start talking. 
A special shout out goes to John Edison, the guy behind the scenes who helps produce and edit this show, and who also is the creator of the track played during the intro and outro. So love to all of you. Please be the very best you can be, and we'll chat with you soon. Out for now.